Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Hello, and welcome to the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Season 31, Episode 17. My name is Kimmy. And I'm Rose. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a Monster of the Week campaign that Mini Painter Jen wrote in about, asking for some suggestions. And Steffi from Scotland, who writes a lot of emails, thank you, Steffi, writes in how to unweave a player from a campaign. And we've done a lot of work to weave them into the campaign. And N from Minnesota has a challenge for the Happy Jacks crew. If you'd like to send in a topic or question of the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Let's see. Announcements. We were at Strategicon last weekend. If you listen to that episode, it's a little bit of a hot mess, but that's okay because we are always a little bit of a hot mess at the conventions anyway. We are missing a few minutes of the front end of the show. And Mike came on who runs the convention and talks about like how attendance is up. It was really great. I do like definitely if you don't listen to the whole thing, that's fine. It's really great having people like share their stories and their experiences from being at the con. A lot of people come up and talk about the games they've played and things like that. But like the best one is like the very first person after the little intro. It's this kid named Ezekiel who's like just talks like like he's, he's I love like Ezekiel nine. so much. He's so good, right? It's amazing. Ezekiel's the best. Yeah, I saw it live. It was so great. Magic. Like all of us are just amazed at this amazing kid who is just so well-spoken. So definitely listen to that. We are going to dial in a little bit more with, it's been like two years since we've run a con live event. So we had a little bit of trouble with tech and we're going to dial it in definitely for the next convention. Hopefully the sound quality will be better for next time. And yeah, but we're really excited that it worked. It went well. We all ran games. It was great to be back. So that was awesome. Also, we're still in February, so we have an Indie Designer of the Month. It is still Jennifer Adcock, and you can find her games at jen-adcock15.itch.io, also known as Owl Night Games there. This week's featured product of her is called The Temple of Grief. The Temple of Grief is an abstract dungeon module for use with any game that one might use to crawl about in dungeons. There's been a lot of those we've talked about lately because it's a big topic lately. It is not a complete dungeon, but a framework upon which you can build one or many adventures. The Temple of Grief has six tiers or floors or levels. These are inspired by the five alleged stages of grief, which are dubiously real, but no more or less so than the dungeon itself. It is immaterial if you believe in them. The builder of the temple surely did. The sixth level is home to a god, a goddess, a deity, an idol. Who can say? This god took something from you which you know you can never recover. The loss is so great that you can never be fully healed. A loss that must be avenged. You must remember this at all times. You venture into this dungeon not to recover what was lost, but to exact revenge upon this god. And you can get that for $2 on itch.io right now. So definitely go check that out. And I love 
Jennifer's stuff. It's very interesting. And definitely don't forget to go get her awesome card game, The Price of Coal, that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Oh my gosh. So good. I'm super excited for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get that one on Indie Indie Press Revolution, which may or may not have another amazing card game, maybe starting next week, which may or may not be called Decima, but you know. Now, what may or may not be Decima? (laughs) Right? (laughs) All right. I think that's everything. I don't want to steal Jen's thunder by talking about Decima every time I talk about (laughs) the price of coal, because card games are card games, but they're both good. They're very different. All right. Yeah. You said you wanted to read the first one, right, Rose? Yeah, I would love to. So, hey, all. I could use some help. I'm running a Monster of the Week campaign that's been going for 20 seconds. First of all, congratulations. That's incredible. One of the conceits of the game is that it's a TV show. Each session, we play another episode of the show. The players have enjoyed this take on it, and it's been helpful in encouraging collaborative storytelling by providing a familiar framework to work from. Everyone is familiar with the TV show tropes and how they get applied, so it's easy for the players to think about how the conversation in the writer's room would go for a scene, or, quote-unquote, what the fans would want to see. There have been a lot of quotes. I haven't read all of them because I can't be bothered. (laughs) (laughs) We did a session a while back where everyone played the actors uh, that play their regular characters. They were at something like a Comic-Con. We had a Q&A panel where they took turns being audience members and asking the other quote-unquote actors questions. An autograph signing where everybody could interact with fans and a still supernatural mystery to solve. Everyone really enjoyed that one-off session and let it be known that they'd be interested in doing another session playing the actors again. I finally come up with an idea for another session that includes the actors, but it's a little complex. I'm thinking of a two-layered thing where they would be a scene in show, and then we'd switch to the meta perspective of the actors, where problems related to the in-show mystery would occur. So, an in-show scene on the seashore would happen, and uh, then the director would call cut, and we'd move out uh, to the actors who have just played the scene and whatever the related events would be. The adversary will be a fairy that the actors annoy in the first session. The fairy will use the show's first uh, depiction to take further offense and mess with everyone. The problem is, I feel like this could get uh, complicated quickly. Knowing when and where to break from one level to the uh, the other, when to introduce various story beats, how to manage both arcs seems tricky. While I'm a passable enough uh, GM that people show up for this game, I'm hardly a great one, and I feel like this uh, might be beyond what I can pull off. Thoughts, suggestions... I'm going to push back. I I was going to finish. I was going to finish her last little thing. Go ahead. And then I was, I was also going to push back. Okay. Okay. Thoughts, suggestions. Is this too much? How would you manage it? Thanks from upstate New York. Mini painter, Jen. P.S. The very last con I went to was Orcon right before COVID. After all this time, I doubt I'm remembered by any of the Happy Jack's crew that I gamed uh, with and gamed and hung out with, but I remember it fondly. I hope to be back someday. COVID permitting. So first off, Kimmy. You have the floor. Okay. We totally remember you, Mini Painter Jen, like 100%. And yeah, you should definitely come back to the con again. I felt fairly safe. Um, I'm still masking constantly in those with a good quality mask. And I do still take my air filter for the, the game rooms when I'm running the game. But I have a little like rolly thing. Way, now, to, so way to bougie the game con up. Like <laughs> that, that is a very safe thing, but also extremely bougie. Yes, it is. It's, it is. But uh, yeah, we totally remember. And if you are on session 20 of a campaign, like I think you're selling yourself short, hon. 
like, come on. Like, people would, like, put up with a mediocre GM for a while, but not for 20 sessions. Like, you are doing a great job. Yeah, like, if that's, like, a weekly game and, like, you miss a couple, that's half a year. If it's less frequently, that's that's a very long time for people to put up with a game they don't like to the point where one would assume they might actually just enjoy your game. A hundred percent. Like, People are nice, but they're not that nice. Like they're gonna come up. Nobody's with, that nice. Yeah, nobody's that nice. Like there's gonna, no Ned Flanders in real life. Nobody, <laughs> nobody would be that nice. No, they're gonna come up with excuses. Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, like they're gonna probably be nice about it because you're a good person. But they're gonna come up with excuses why they can't come anymore, and they haven't. So it means you're doing a good job. But yeah, also like 20 sessions of Monster of the Week means 20 episodes, which means 20 mysteries, which explodes my brain. That's a lot. Like, that is an absurd amount of prep work and effort that you've put in to make that campaign happen. Yeah. So pat yourself on the back, take some pride. Like, that's better than I could do. I tried running Monster of the Week, and I burned out after, like, four episodes. <laughs> or no, I think it was less than that. I think it was three. Yeah. Yeah. So props to you, Mini Pater Jen. You're awesome. Take some pride in the amount of work you've put in there. To answer your question... That first of all, fantastic concept. Yeah, the concept around this campaign of it being a show and all of that is an excellent framing device. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely you get uh, props for that. The returning to the actors playing the characters episode also phenomenal. If you want to make it less complicated, you could play an episode where the actors get pulled into the reality of the show, so they are in their bodies as their characters dealing with the supernatural, but they are the actors instead of the characters. Mm -hmm. So if they have like really strong personalities that are different from their characters, that could be really entertaining. If they're very similar to their characters, that would maybe be a little bit less compelling. But as far as bouncing it back and forth, yeah, that's honestly a bit tricky. That's a lot of A and B plot. That's hard to do when the A plot and the B plot are both solving a monster mystery. Like if the A plot is the actors deciding if they're going to do like an actor's strike and then the other side is them fighting, the characters fighting monsters, that can be a really nice palate cleanser. You can really change up the pace of things. But when it's both just figure out what the mystery is and hunt the monster on both sides, that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. I was in a play that was like this, actually. And you were, we were actors being characters. I think it's called Noises Off. There's a couple of them that are written that way. But the way the show does it, you're, you're on stage, the first act, and then the set actually rotates around and they see the backs. You do the whole play again, except as like the actors backstage. So it's like... The first act, you're like, oh, we're in love. It's so great. And then ba- like the second act, you're like, I hate you. God damn it. I hate you. And then you walk <laughs> yep. through this like, and you're still doing your lines on stage, like, but it's actually backstage now. So it's it's pretty That's wild. Phenomenal. It's super fun. I feel like you might be able to do this with a little bit of framework. Like maybe this would be something where you'd use offline time to like and like a Google Doc or something to outline scenes for the show as a group, not just you by yourself. But like as a group, like, okay, what's this episode going to be about? Okay, you know, and then like split it up if you want it to be like a half hour show. Usually there's like two commercial breaks or whatever it is. 
Actually, I haven't actually watched network TV in so long. I have no idea oh, what it is anymore. But yeah. uh, <laughs> the only ads mid-roll I've watched are because I'm cheap and don't have the like Hulu premium subscription. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then, I just have kind of stopped watching Hulu because of it. So I feel like there is a cool way you could do this. Another way might be kind of like to do that, like what might that play I was in dead, where you do one session as the TV show and then you like take notes of what's happening and then the next session come back and be the actors like in between that show that you did last time. That would be super good. Yeah. In fact, you could even just take your last session and make that this session and they're going through the scenes from last session. Yeah. Like and you could you could do that with not having to make more prep work or anything. Yeah, exactly. You might even be able to, if you wanted to have people like, I mean, you, this is probably way too complicated, but you pull, if you wanted to record it, you could pull the audio and drop it into like an, a digital transcriber. It's not perfect, but it would give you an outline enough that like they could kind of follow along almost as if it was a script and it would save you a lot of work. So I don't know, I feel like that, is a really amazing concept. And it's really amazing that you're brave enough to try it because a lot of GMs don't even want to jump into things like that. And double check that your players are up for it and you might want to give them some options. I think splitting it into two, at least doing, I, I don't know. I, I also like, I GM this way. I GM every game like it's a TV show. And I've talked about that before where I really think about it as like a soap opera or something like that. Because I literally will be like, okay, we're going to stop there. And it's basically me like hearkening back to my film school, like of yore, like when I was like, I'll be a director and editor someday. And then I didn't. But like literally there's moments where it's like, okay, and okay, if it was, I'd, I'd cut here. Okay. Like it, right at like the juiciest moment. And we're going to go to here now. So they're like left intention. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's something that, that people just, you can practice that, especially if you're watching. Soap operas are the best because they're so obvious about it. It's like, I love you, but so does my twin sister. And then it's like, dun, dun, dun. And then they cut to something else because they can't keep going with that scene. I will say you may be a little bit spoiled as a GM that you have players that help you set up those dramatic moments that you can then cut away from. For sure. If the play is slower, that can make it harder to have those fun, dramatic cuts. It can, but I feel like Monster of the Week really sets itself up for that because I I jam like that Mm. at conventions too. The game Mm. I ran a few days ago at the convention, I had some good players in it, but it was also mostly people I don't really know. So I feel like like as a GM, like recognizing those moments is real. And I find that like when I start jamming a game, a lot of times people aren't used to that jamming style if they're people who haven't played with me before. And then like having... Like, it feels odd at first to, like, be cut off, right, at, like, the, like, kind of pinnacle of a scene. But people kind of get into the flow of it because we are so used to media that does that, like, fairly quickly. And especially if you're like, oh, cut there. We'll come back to that in a moment. All right, look at this scene. And I even, like, describe things a lot of times. I'll be like, okay, the shot looks like this. Like, you know, it's like your face. Mm-hmm. And Camera then, movements and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, like, I, I very much describe it. And even with my One Ring game, like, that is completely not, like episode of tv or anything like that like i find that that's a description and a way of jamming that people very easily kind of click with because it's stuff they, everybody watches a bunch of tv or if they mm-hmm. haven't like they've watched enough movies and stuff to like at least get the concepts it also helps incorporate like visual storytelling into an auditory medium yeah 
like gaming is primarily spoken word stuff and painting a picture for people definitely helps engage. That's super not answering Jen's question there, but I mean, kind of like uh, that last bit, but yeah, that I I was saying. Yeah. Another thing you could do is, and this would be super challenging, set a timer. And every time the timer goes off, they switch. And Mm. that would be wild. And it may not be for your players, but that would also be something that would be very interesting to sort of see how that goes. If you've been playing 20 sessions and they're that familiar with their characters, that might be something that they enjoy or like. The other fun thing to do, if you feel like doing extra homework, is to come up with some entertaining commercials (laughs) that would run when the timer switches because it goes to commercial break. That'd be so good. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, or like that could be commercial break or it could be like, oh, someone screwed up the lights. Okay, cut, cut. Like wherever (laughs) in the scene it is, like just come up with whatever Mm -hmm. reason they have to stop at that moment. So that could be super stressful or it could be amazing or both. Like, Mm -hmm. it very much depends on your players. I feel like Jason would be super stressed out by that idea if I played, you know, if he was in a game like that. But I feel like Nick or other people might, like, really just, like, dive in wildly. Like, so so think Mm -hmm. about your players, Jen, and see, like, think about whether that would be something they'd they'd be okay with. Yeah. And if you want to make it easier on yourself, just throw in an episode of the actors stuck in the characters universe for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And you can have another fun session that doesn't require as much switching. Yeah. But don't, don't give up on it right away. Oh yeah. Cause I feel oh, yeah. like that's such a, I don't know. That's, that's such a unique idea. And there's so few instances where you really get to dive into stuff like that in tabletop RPGs and like a kind of legitimate way. I don't know. It's, it's you, a fun. Thing. You miss a hundred percent of the swings you don't take, yeah. and like, even if it's not perfect, this is going to be a story that your players will tell for a really long time. Yeah, and like, it's always something you can stop. Like, start if like twenty minutes in, you're like, okay, this is not working like I thought it would. Let's just go back to playing normally. Like, that is fine. That's not a failure. That's just like we're all trying stuff. We're having fun. Like, it happens, and I don't think it's too much. It's, it's very good. I think. I think to start off, the probably the best bet is like do the episode and then the next session do like the behind the scenes like actors of that episode. I think that'll be the simplest way to run it. If you really want to do the switching back and forth, then find a timer or a, a catalyst or like maybe drawing cards like, oh, every time you got a certain card then or a certain suit or something, then that's when it triggers some, a change. Something like that could be really, really fun to have it more randomized than you just picking when it is or rolling a die. And I really want to know more about your monster heart or your your monster of the week game. So write in and tell us some stories about it. Because for 20 sessions, like Rose is saying, that's that's impressive for a monster of the week game. A lot of I've been in a couple of monster of the week campaigns and they're great and they're super interesting, but I've never been in one that lasted 20 sessions. Yeah, 20 sessions sounds amazing. Like at that point, there's I maybe even some like overarching plot stuff. And that to me, that is the sweet spot that I wish I could get my Monster of the Week games to is that, yeah, you have a, a story every week, but also there's bigger meta story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that it, and it works so well for that. It's so well written for that type of storytelling. And I, I feel like a lot of us don't ever get to that deeper point. Like it's always perfect. It's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
And we always do like the individual episodes, but we never get to like the overarching, like what will happen. Season finale. Yeah. 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 Or the thing that's been like stalking her all season that we all know about as the audience, but like Buffy hasn't realized yet all that. Yeah. Those big narrative payoffs. Yes. And, and when you get to 20 sessions, you can start really having those. Right. Cool. All right. Let's do mailbag number two. Greetings, happy Jacketons. I write you with a heavy heart. I recently became down a player. Nothing fatal, thankfully, but we reached the point where I no longer will run for this person. But this is not a horror story email. I run my games with prep. I tangle my players' backstories together. So during the game, I have plenty of reasons for the players to be invested in the setting, the plot, and each other. But now I need to figure out how to remove a single thread with minimum damage and respect and compassion. The player was in two of my games. The second game was easy enough. Their backstory was disconnected, and the aim was to use it as a B-plot until it was blended into the A-plot, raising the threat intention, or, sorry, one, it is blended into the A-plot, raising threat intention, two, to be solved by the players to make them look good before the A-plot unfolds, or three, become the A-plot if the players solve it quicker than I expected. Yeah, it was a simple hand wave. The PC and the backstory of NPCs never existed. The first, the player was more tightly tangled with the other two players in the plot. They have clues that they haven't shared with the other players. Last session, they made a dangerous NPC go from passive to going down a villain path and caused a big scene that ruined the other PCs, uh, that ruined the other PCs uh, gates and called in law enforcement. None of this the, is why the player is no longer playing with us, but aspects I figured out, but aspects I figured out how to approach in this game. For consequences of their action, I spoke to the other players. One PC was interested with his date being rocky, but not law enforcement being brought in. Another PC opted in the opted into the dangerous NPC being brought off the bench. Easy communication, people, it's wonderful. The clues are annoying because I'm not keeping track of who knows what, but I am going to tell the players that metagaming that they were told clues that they remember, and then I'll have some NPCs drop a bunch of clues. As for what the PC is doing, I am moving them to Texas. Why Texas? It's so far away that it's reasonable that they won't show up again. I don't want to keep the PC around as an NPC because in my opinion, as an ally, their memory is tainted, and as a villain, it's disrespectful and a bleed of why the player was dismissed. And it will make the scenes awkward or even triggering for the group. If a player left on better terms, it'd be another thing, but this t- uh, but I don't want to do it. Or, and it would be another talk with the group. Untangling the backstory is trickier. It was tightly cl- connected to the two other players' backstories and brought in a faction that I wouldn't have detailed without this player being involved with them. I snipped out as much as I can. Some elements are useful as clues, while before this, they were bigger plot points. I feel like there is a lot of baggage of the other player's input, but I've done what I can to allow them to slip into a a footnote while keeping consistency where it matters. I don't really have a question. I'm quite happy with how I'm handling this, but I feel like it's an interesting topic that I don't recall coming up in recent memory. Also, Kimmy is literally begging for emails. So, discuss. Steffi from Scotland. At Steffi on the Discord. Yes, I have been begging for emails and you have helped a lot. Yeah, this is a tricky thing because especially when you're doing a a game and a character has information other players don't, you know, it's always easy to 
pull out the player, pulling out the character is always a little bit more of a challenge because it's a little awkward always. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on this, Rose? Yeah, I have what you could call it a house rule. I also just kind of I have a thing where if a player doesn't show up to play, I do Schrodinger's player character, which is they've both always existed and never existed. Mm -hmm. If they're not there, they've never existed. And if they had something in their inventory that is plot relevant, all of a sudden it happens to be in your backpack. Yes, yours, you, the person asking the question. And if they're at the table, they've always been at the table. What have you, what were you thinking? They've been here this entire time. Last week? No, they were here last week. You're imagining things. So it's basically just gaslight the other player characters. (laughs) So in my opinion, coming up with like plot reasons for them to not be there and stuff like that is not necessarily something you have to do. You can just say, okay, that character is not going to be in our story anymore. You don't need to send them to Texas or worse, Ohio. You can just do, oh gosh, what's the character from The Simpsons, the dog that Homer voiced who dies on the way back to his home planet? Oh, yeah, They just write that on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the laziest, like, most hand wave, like, don't worry about it option is perfectly good. You can just have them not be a part of the story anymore. Any clues they needed to give, you ask the players, hey, like, how much do you know about this thing that that character would have known about? And if they're missing any information, you just give it to them. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not the most elegant solution, but it's also very easy. And that that is my brand. Not elegant, but easy. Maybe I probably shouldn't put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want the t-shirt. That's very good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. It'll be Rose RPGs. Not elegant, but easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I try and do it a little bit to steal your freight more elegantly, like not to like... Yeah, you're, you're yum. But just because a lot of, especially stream games for home games, I don't care. I'm like, mm. this person doesn't exist anymore. They're gone. Or, but for stream games, especially, like you want to kind of keep that cohesive story for people who are enjoying the story as like audience members. So Definitely. I've been having to do that a lot, not permanently, but for my One Ring campaign, a couple of people have had to miss recently. So it's like they get called away on this and they get called away on that. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to get rid of characters the information they have is a little more tricky but like they got an urgent letter saying they needed to come do this or they were interested in this so they went to go research it is what i used so uh, like last week uh jay literally like i don't know they haven't told me i can't say anything so he was literally on a car car accident on his way here like 15 minutes before we were supposed to start like we got the message like i'm okay my car isn't like I'm not going to be there. So, you know, we very quickly kind of like, okay, so, you know, Sausage the Hobbit, like, got a urgent letter that he had to go back, and I'll figure out what that is next time. But in coming up with, okay, that's why they're not there. They'll meet you at this place. There's so many things that are the easy ways to get the, the character out of there. And if you sent them, oh, you know, to a place, I mean, for me, Texas is far away. Some people, it's not far away, but... Evidently, Scotland, I suppose, Texas is pretty far for Scotland. I mean, I... Yeah, I rather, <laughs> rather distant. Yeah. Yes, rather distant. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's way far for, for Scotland. Pretty much like the opposite of Scotland in my brain. I don't know if that's actually accurate, but... So I... So yeah, like sending them to a faraway place where they probably won't show up. I like your idea of, of kind of having like NPCs drop in the information. 
I do the same thing where I will put out information and not keep track of which players have it and don't. So that's also why I don't make like a specific number of clues when I'm doing stories where people need to figure things out because I won't keep track of them. So why should you have to keep track of them? So just keep throwing more clues at them if clues are necessary and uh, that'll solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You can never go wrong with hitting them with a clue by four. And even then, sometimes, yeah, they just don't, they just don't get it. No. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're just like, I know what that is and I don't care. And you're like, okay, that's a choice. Oh gosh. Yeah. Getting hit, needing to get hit with a clue by four has been heaven on high. Uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We keep getting to the finale and Lloyd's like, you've investigated nothing. It's like, I'm sorry. We were too busy with character angst. That's your problem. So much angst, so much angst, but also so very good. entertaining, very entertaining. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Holly Hart is back, y'all. Go yeah. watch Heaven on High. It's very good. So yeah, it sounds like you're handling it great, Steffi. You know, keep it up. I'm sorry. It's always awkward. That's the hardest thing is like, it's not about the character. It's not about the, the information. There's always just a little bit of an, a lingering awkwardness where you have to tell someone they can't come back to your game. It's not as weird when like someone's like, oh, hey, I can't fit into my schedule anymore. But when you have to tell a person you can't come back, that's a it just leaves like a weird vibe in the the game. So hopefully your players like, you, you know, you you touch the basis with them before this happened or after it happened. You've had a lot of those critical conversations. Hopefully they agree with you that this person had to go and that'll just make it a little bit easier. I feel like this is one of the hardest situations to deal with. And uh, yeah. I've, yeah, I've left groups because of weird things and I, like this or like a person I couldn't stand. And it's always hard and frustrating. Yeah, interpersonal stuff that gets to the point of someone either needing to leave the table or be ejected from the table is always, always super rough. Yeah. Though I will say, sometimes it's a really easy decision. I had someone bail on one of my games he said his mom had to go, like, needed him for something. He was just going to hang out with his girlfriend. And it was like, we were 19 at the time. If he just said, I'm going to go hang out with my girlfriend, all of us would have been like, yes, that makes logical sense. <laughs> and then the second time, he ditched one of my one-shots to go play Apples to Apples at uh, our student union at our university. Mm-hmm. And, like, didn't tell anyone. So we had taken a break to go get free food. And well, there's blank. And I went over as like, oh, hey, were you going to come back? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. I blocked him on Facebook after that because I he was like, hey, you want to hang out? I'm like, no, I really don't. You wasted so much of my time. Yeah. Oh, youth. Yeah. So much dumber than. Um, Thank God I'm older and dumb now. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I mean, at least we're dumb in different ways. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of... Like, it's interesting because I feel like, Steffi, your game must be good because generally what I've experienced, obviously not with Happy Jack's groups, but like in other groups I've played, usually if you have that person who needs to be ejected, other people start dropping out first. Like before it comes to a head with that person... Generally, unless it's like a direct conflict between the GM and that person, usually I'll notice, oh, okay, oh, so-and-so had to like leave the game. Oh, this other person is not showing up very often. And like, that's usually like the first sign something's wrong. 
And I've yeah. definitely done that. I had, there was a game I was in that it was just, there was just a person who just, I couldn't deal. Like it was, they were fine. It was fine. And everyone, no one else seemed to be bothered by them. And it was someone that I'd hung out with like a lot before. And I th- was like, okay, this person will be great. This will be great. And I'd never gamed with them. And it was just like oil and water. Like our play styles did not gel. We just were constantly getting like annoyed as people at each other f- because of what our characters did. And it was just so frustrating. And it was like, it was, and it was a home game. So it was, at least with stream games, if you end up in a situation where you're not wild about someone else's character, there's like an endpoint. This mm-hmm. is like a home game that was like, forever, you will have to show up at your friend's living room and just keep playing until no one else. And it's like, oh no, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and yeah. the disappointment of, oh my gosh, I like this per- like I like them as a person. And then you sit down to play together and you do not mesh. Yeah. Is, oh, that's soul crushing. Yeah. That's, that's worse than finding out that like someone has shitty politics. It's, no, no, no. Like, it's definitely not worse. It's worse because they're like, no, you're you're still like a good person. Yeah. But you just, we just aren't completely incompatible in this way. Right, oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Because you do have to still interact with them. Because like, I still see this person. I still hang out with this person. Like, mm-hmm. we have a lot of similar friends and we ha- go to parties all the time. And it's one of those things where like, they've stopped asking. But for a while, like, they kept kind of like running or being in games. and like, hey, do you want to play? Oh, no, no, uh, Tuesday. Oh, I can't do Tuesday. I'm so sorry. Like, and it was like before my like schedule really went off the rails. Cause now I like legit mm-hmm. could say, I'm sorry, I can't. But then it was just like, mm-hmm. I can't, I won't. And I can't, but you have to come up with like the polite excuse. I think that's going to be a goal for me is if I run into someone who we just have different gaming styles and we're incompatible, I'm just going to be straight up honest with them and say, Hey, I like you as a person. I just don't mesh well with how you like the game and, and try and be like respectful and open about it rather than like dodge forever. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good goal. I see. That's the thing that like people take that so personally. I mean, it's really important to say that it is a taste thing. It's yeah. like, Hey, I think you are awesome, but the way you like to play is not the way I like to play. Yeah. And I'm not going to try and make you play the way that I like. Yeah. Cause that's not fair to you. That's not fair to me. Yeah. It's hard, too, because, like, a lot of times they, like, will like how you play and not see a problem and not feel that vibe. So it can be wild. And sometimes it varies from system to system. Like, there have been games that people that I've gamed with that I've absolutely adored. And then I, like, hopped into another system and it just happened to be, like, that character they made for that game. You're like, oh, you're the most annoying ever. Oh, God, get me more alcohol, please. I need need more drinks for this game or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And it's just, it's so, it's so interesting. Yeah. And it's so interesting how one bad game or one bad campaign can also kind of like influence how you feel about that person moving forward. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, it's interesting because like I sometimes like wonder and like I've had friends be like, well, do you think if you like gave it another shot to play with them, like that it would go better? I'm like, it might, but it might not. And then I'd be stuck in that game again. <laughs> or what's worse is like the things you had a problem with are just quiet for just long enough that you think it won't be an issue. Rear their and then they like do the thing, yeah. And you're like, oh no, I thought I was free of the thing, but they st- the thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, okay. mailbag number three. Here, I got it. Okay, do you want to split it because it's kind of long? Um, uh, sure. Okay. 
I'll start off with the sad part. Okay. Um, Content warning. This email does talk a little bit about someone passing away in the first paragraph or two, but then it moves on to other things. So, okay. So yeah, be warned. Hello, happy Jackers and Jillers. Ed from Minnesota, now Florida here. Longtime listener, longtime caller. I hope everyone is well and remember to get your checkups. My older brother passed away this year from cancer because it went undiagnosed for over 18 months, despite our asks to talk to his doctor. He was only 54. Don't let that happen to you or someone you love. I wanted to put out a challenge to all the Jackers and Jillers out there. I moved to Florida five years ago from Minnesota, and one of the first things I did was find a local gaming store. The parentheticals. They focused on video games and magic, but had space and interest in RPGs when I talked to them. If you have the ability and time, run a short campaign at a store near you. You can choose the game system, create characters, and give a few random uh, people a chance to try an, an RPG that they might otherwise not get. I can tell you from personal experience, it can lead to lifetime new friends and a string of happier people in the world. And you'll feel better about yourself for doing it. So now I will open the conversation for you our hosts, to discuss the best ways to do this. I'm in sales, so walking up to a stranger and having a conversation... I'm sorry, did you want to take from there? That's about the halfway mark. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm in sales, so walking up to a stranger and having a conversation is probably a lot easier for me than for other people. For example, I asked at the store whom the owner was and when he would be in, then came in to meet him and introduced myself. I explained who I was, my credentials, 40 years of gaming, your mileage may vary. And what I wanted from him, a space to run a D&D game four hours every other weekend. I let him know the ages I was comfortable with, eight plus, and that it would likely take a few months to build a group. I brought my kids, so I always had two or three players as a cheat. That's a very good cheat. The keys were consistency. I showed up every first and third Sunday at 10 a.m. And fun. Every player gets a spotlight every game for five minutes minimum. Are there any of your hosts willing to rise to the challenge? Do you have any friends who may? I think our hobby is at a critical point right now, and I want to share it with anyone interested. Stranger Things, COVID, and other factors have brought us to a point where playing pretend is more acceptable now for adults than ever before. My brother, mentioned previously, started me gaming at five years old on Chainmail and Man to Man, early GURPS. It is a defining part of who I am and makes me a better person in ways I can't explain in an email easily. That's good. I feel that. I hope yeah. you and your friends can help share this gift with other people who may otherwise miss the chance. Step up. It isn't as hard as you think. And the rewards in new friends are phenomenal. Ed from Minnesota, now in Florida. P.S. I still believe Stu should be spelled S-T-E-W during Halloween and that he should go as a cannibal chef. He should. Mm -hmm. P.P.S. Tappy is still an amazing person to have on the show even if he is the poster child for ADHD medication. Please say, <laughs> tell him hello for me and give him my best. I will. I do actually see him every once in a while, but he's moved back out to the desert primarily right now. I keep bugging him. I'm like, hey, when are you going to be in town next? And then he's like, uh, I'm not in town on Fridays anymore. Like, okay, well, eventually. Too cool for you. I'm off yeah. with my friends in the desert. Well, he figured out Goodbye. how, to, yeah, he finally figured out to how to use their uh, solar panel system and have a toaster work. So they've. That was the threshold for moving back out. <laughs> well, ah, oh, shit. I can't. I, okay, this bread has not been baked a second time. Yeah. This is unacceptable. Yeah. I'm going back to civilization. Yeah. Well, for many reasons, yes, toast is amazing. But also, like they got their their power grid to a point where it can with like it can hold things that cause heat because that's very inefficient electronically. So that mm -hmm. was like a big change. So now they're like, 
a much cushier life out in their desert. PPPS, you are doing great with the new show format. My grognard brain wishes Stu was still involved. Stu is fine. He's yeah, fine. Yeah. He's totally... He, he's not he's in fine. the show, but he is alive and involved in breathing. Other things. Eating. Yes. Presumably still burping. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. He's fine. Absolutely. I have texts that say that it's from Stu that prove he's fine. Holding, I, holding today's newspaper. Mm, no, but just like regular, like green little bubble texts. But I recognize how hard it is to do what you're doing. And I want you to know that it is appreciated and you have our love. Keep your focus content and not format. And you will continue to rip hours away from me during my hectic weeks. Longer format is appreciated. No matter what the surveys say, three hour drunken ramblings are what hooked me onto the show. Thank you, Ed. That's very kind. And yes, we got to talk more about AC fine. if we want to have a three-hour show oh again. Oh my god, so much! <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, wish, I just get so tired now. <laughs> I have to get up so mm-hmm. early with oh, a toddler. God. I'm like, it's like nine o'clock. I have to go to sleep now. Yeah, we'd have to switch to like Saturday mornings when we're actually like awake. Yeah. Drink coffee instead of the beer. Oh yeah, we might eventually, but it's just it's hard. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. if people keep writing in more emails, we will start having longer shows again. Actually, that no, that has nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely not. We'll just have that, yeah. more shows. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of ways to work at building the hobby. And I think that we've been forced out of our comfort zone during COVID. And we've talked about this a lot. And I think you're absolutely right, Ed. Like a ton of people have joined the hobby because of COVID. It's they've, you know, Stranger Things, Critical Role has been huge in that. Like there's been a whole bunch of things that have made something that was sort of like a joke on the fringes of society, which is like D&D, like over the years, more mainstream. One of those things has been like video games kind of becoming cool. Like suddenly that sort of brought like the gaming sphere and it kind of pulled, you know, how they say like high tides raise all boats, like that Mm -hmm. raised all nerdy things to be a little bit more acceptable. And D&D and tabletop gaming has taken a little longer because it's not quite as accessible. You can't just go buy it like on online or something like that. I mean, you can't buy it online, but you can't just like play by yourself online. It's like mm-hmm. if I go buy video game, if I go buy League of Legends, I will get murdered a million times. It will be a very unpleasant experience when I first start playing. It'll still be an unpleasant experience after you've gotten good at it. Yeah, I know. But I can <laughs> I can immediately access it. I don't need to go get a bunch of people to join me in it. I think the biggest thing is that learning curve, though. Yeah. Like, for sure. I cannot imagine not having listened to podcasts to get into the hobby if I just picked up the fourth edition D&D rulebook and tried to run off that. Like, I think I would have fallen out of the hobby very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, and I think actual plays, you know, people debate a lot of times about whether they've been good for the hobby or bad for the hobby. I personally am in the camp that they've been great for the hobby. Um, how, how, what's the argument that they're bad? Like, what is that argument? Well, some of the, like some of them set real unrealistic expectations. Okay. So, so high production value APs, I can see people thinking, oh yes, I need to run this game. Like it's my job. Right. But like, that's not the bulk of APs. There's a lot of very broke APs. We run a lot of those. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, y'all have production value. Yeah. Like, and you have video and you live stream it. And you have a studio. Like, I got my start on Critical Hit, not Critical Role, very similar name, completely different show. But they have been going for decades, over a decade, I think maybe even 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And they are audio only, and that is it. Yeah. 
Like there's no video, there's no live stream, there's none of that. And they still have a viewership and all of that. Like that said, their audio quality is very good. But, yeah. No, yeah, but they've yeah. been back, they've been around since like back in the day. I think we did mm-hmm. partnerships with them ages, ages ago. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I mean, we started that way too. Most of our actual plays for a long time, like we have a bunch of actual plays that have no video on them. We didn't start doing this till it feels like yesterday, but it's been years now. It's been like you have actual plays years. where you took breaks to eat lunch. And we talk about, and it's on there, like <laughs> yeah, oh. and like where you're gonna order and like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Most of, if you're listening now, our new actual <laughs> plays do not have any of that stuff. It was like yeah, yeah, yeah. We've learned. Now start with grown. the recent stuff. Go back for the vintage if you have if you the can. Constitution. Yeah, for it. if you want to hear what we ordered from the Chinese restaurant around the corner from the house. Um, I will say that some of those old <laughs> APs are still very fun. Yeah, they're really just good. Listen just, at yeah one point five speed. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, it was back in the day, like people didn't do a lot of APs. There weren't a lot of things to like compare it to or see. Like if you're thinking like- It was back before there were rules for these things. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, there was like three of us recording actual plays at the time and nobody was streaming or videoing. Like Twitch wasn't a Why would people want to see our faces? My God. Like I think YouTube existed, but I don't know. Like it would watch a three hour YouTube video. It's not like- Long-form video essays are a popular thing (laughs) in 2011. I know, right? Oh, man. But I do think that there's a lot of different ways. I think running... I love the fact that you chose... Sorry, go back to the email. Ed, I love the fact that you chose a store that was not specifically a tabletop RPG store. Because I think that is a place where you can bring new people into the hobby. When they're there, like you're saying, it's mostly a Magic the Gathering store and stuff like that. Like, they see you playing and they are like, whoa, what's this? And they're interested. I feel like running games anywhere at any time is fantastic. I think that we have a lot of Happy Jacks community members who run games and schools. I think that is amazing. I'm not going to do that because I spend all day at school and I love my students, but gaming is my time away from my students. I think if I like worked with an older age group, I might be more interested in doing that. But by the end of the day, I'm ready to come home and play games with adults. But I just feel like, yes, going and running games at stores is a great, a great point. Running actual plays, that I feel like that helps with the hobby too. Maybe that's... Increased visibility. Yeah, well, and also it's interesting because if you look at our YouTube channel, the first, our session zeros actually have the most like views of any of our mm-hmm. shows. And that's because, you know, I was like kind of wondering and someone made a comment on one of them once and I was like... I forget exactly how they phrased it, but basically it's like, hey, thanks for this. I don't really watch APs, but I love watching your session zeros because it shows me how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Like these end up being tutorials for people who, if they're not interested in following along with the story for like entertainment purposes, like this is what I do. Like when I'm trying to learn a new system, because I'm so keyed in on like video and, and stuff like that, I either listen to a, a podcast or I listen to or I watch a video actual play of the system so I can see people going through it because the way my brain works, reading like text on a page, it's so hard for me to like grok the rules from something like that. Um, 100% agree. Yeah. There are some books that have great examples, like the Wild Talents playbook is like this. There are a bunch of others who have like like scenes, like almost like a script written out, like Mm -hmm. player one says this, and then it like shows you, oh, okay, in play, this is how it would work. Those are very helpful. But actually hearing people play through a system, like just is so much more like concrete for my brain. And I remember it's in a much more real way than if I'm just trying to remember rules, even if I've taken notes or marked pages or highlighted or whatever. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So, like, I learned about masks and, like, that the game existed. I learned it from watching you. <laughs> Billy, but, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I listened to Hashtag Justice Heroes, and then I listened to Eidolon Academy, and that's how I learned to run the game. To be honest, I think I've read maybe the pages that describe the moves in greater detail, and that's about it from the book. Okay. Like, I did actually read a solid 80% of the book one time. Do I remember any of that? No. But can I th- tell you the difference between the different moves? Like, the back of my hand? Yeah. And I'm a big proponent of APs as learning resource in addition to entertainment. Yeah. Like, we should try to make it fun to listen to, but especially those session zeros of, like, even if you're playing with people who all know the system, like, going over, like, hey, so this game has labels, or this game has this, and just kind of, Laying out that stuff, so especially if people who aren't familiar are listening, they can follow the mechanics of the game as they go and know what the different terms mean and stuff like that, rather yeah. than playing it as very like insider baseball kind of thing and yeah. and being really opaque about things. Yeah, and I feel like that access and that model of playing games, also like having so many different games out there. A lot of people don't realize there are games besides D and D. But because of the number of actual plays out there now, and like whether it's podcast or video or things like that, the, like it's really bringing a lot of the indie games or less known games, which is basically any game but D and D, kind mm-hmm. of to people's attention. And I think that's really important. I also think that not just streaming and stuff like that, but it just makes the the main culture aware of it in a way where even if they're not the type to sit and watch actual plays, the fact that they are so common and the fact that gaming has become something that is a form of entertainment that is so accessible and so uh, commonplace has made it more likely that people are going to go to those game stores, that they're going to go check out online, you know, discords where they can play online with other people and things like that because the hobby has now moved into a a new place. Things with, uh, you know, like Roll20 and online gaming like platforms are like sustained by people who just play games online all the time, which yeah. if you, yeah, it's wild. There's I so keep, many people. I keep getting ads for, for gaming, like group finding services that like you pay them money and they find you groups and stuff like that. I would never do it, but mainly because but like, it is wild that things like that exist. Yeah. And there's a whole new one that I've gotten, I've gotten a bunch of ads for it because they, they're looking for people to GM games. I forget what it is. It's like a paid GMing mm-hmm. service. Where mm-hmm. as a GM, you can like, I guess it's like Fiverr or something for GMs, mm-hmm. but you can like basically post yourself there and say, and like, hey, I'm running a game here and people can pay and sign up to play in your games. And it's just like this whole economy that's blown up in the last few years through COVID and through other things because of all the, because all the people who are new and interested in the hobby from watching things from seeing Stranger Things, from seeing Critical Role, from seeing a, an, a property they love become a game. From watching like, the D&D movie. Yes. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, maybe. We'll see how terrible that is. If nothing else, ironically watching the D&D movie. Right. Like right. going to see Morbius in a suit. Yeah, right. Um, but also things like the Avatar RPG. Like I, yeah. I'm on the, the Magpie Discord. I know I've mentioned this before. But a lot of people jumped in the Avatar, jumped in the Magpie Discord because they were like, hey, I love Avatar. 
I've never heard of this thing called a tabletop RPG, but I love Avatar. I want to play a game about Avatar. How do I play a tabletop RPG? Like, it's amazing. And you're just like, mm-hmm. like, there's a whole new, you know, group of people who are coming into the hobby because of IPs that are getting picked up by different games. I think that's true for, there's a bunch of different ones. Avatar, I think, was the most like obvious because that Kickstarter just blew up in a wild way. And so many, if you go back and look at the Kickstarter, so many people commenting are like, I don't know what this is, but I want it because I love it. It has Avatar on it. I am going to throw money at it. Exactly. And as more and more IPs start having games that go with them, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think that's a great, a new avenue that people are finding the hobby through that wasn't as prevalent previously. Mm -hmm. I will bring it around. Let's see. It was, yeah. So Ed was saying that he wanted to throw out the challenge to the hosts to run in-person stuff at their local stores. We'll see if I ever do anything at a store, but I have been sitting around and realizing that I have this wonderful online community where I can play with people online, but I realized that I have become completely detached from my local gaming scene. I do live in a very D&D heavy town, but I do live basically in a very large, small town. So I may see, I probably won't run campaigns, but I have been thinking about running like one shots some of my local stores of something like masks or some sort of PBTA, some non, some non D and D game masks would be good because it's easy to learn. And also I know it really well and it's easy for me to run, but yeah, I will officially be the happy Jack's host to accept that challenge. And I'll report back Ed from Minnesota when it goes horribly, horribly wrong. (laughs) I think one thing, too, is like there is an element of playing in a game store that isn't safe. And that's hard. It's really scary. As women, we both of us going into a store and just having random people show up, it can be difficult. And it can put the game store in an awkward position, too, because at a convention, there's like safety things. There's security there. It's like if you want to stand up and walk away or whatever, like you may never have to see that person again. If it's a community shop, especially like, and it's amazing that you went through and you started this on your own, but like setting that up also can be a a dangerous thing for, you know, people who are part of marginalized groups. So that's a scary prospect for me as a woman to be like, hey, I'm just going to plop myself down in this gaming store and let anybody who shows up play my game. (laughs) I also, I will say I do have the advantage of being a six foot tall woman. Which doesn't make me immune from creepy comments and and bullshit, but it does make them think twice about saying it to my face. Mm-hmm. So I do have that going for me. Yeah, I'll we'll see how it goes. It it's definitely something that's not without risk. But the other thing I'm doing is I'm just trying to, especially in queer spaces, kind of throw out like, hey, do you play D and D or do you play any tabletop? games are you interested in them do you want to learn how and both i want to try bringing people who are already interested in tabletop games into the wider world of tabletop and getting outside of the d20 and want to try and go to spaces that are already welcoming and introduce them to my favorite hobby and kind of bring people who are already allies or members of the lgbtq community and bring them into the RPG community kind of try and 
bring people from both directions. Yeah. I think it's also important to remember that there's a whole online gaming space where uh, yes. yeah, <laughs> we're pulling in people from, you know, who are new to the hobby, who maybe are new to certain systems, things like that. Like I run online games a lot and not streamed ones necessarily, but through different discords that, I'm, that I participate in. Some of them are for people who are already in the hobby. Some of them are not. And so I think that we also have to remember, like, there's a whole world of people out there who may not even have access to local gaming stores or a community in the real world, quote, in the real world, that we can access and we can give them access to games or games that they'd never be able to play through accessing these online spaces. Like the Happy Jacks Discord is like really great about that. And we do JackerCon. And we're also looking at putting together some community play days. And the cool thing about things like that, I participated in that on like the Magpie Discord. And I know a lot of different communities like the Gauntlet have these, you know, big community play like setups. Some of them, they're all in different ways. Like I think the Gauntlet, like you have to be part of the Patreon or I don't know. But so generally, I believe if I, if I remember what Mike Ferdinando said was mm-hmm. it, you just have to be in their forums. Yeah. I think that like if you're a part Patreon, you get like to sign up first or something, though. But like also like Magpie, they do a bunch of different stuff. They do community days. Um, we're setting those up too. There's some servers that are literally just for like finding other people to play with and playing different games. The cool thing about that is that you have these community standards where it's like, okay, like every, you know, and each community is a little bit different. Like, okay, everyone has to use lines and veils. They have to use X tools. These are things that are acceptable in games in our community. There's are things that are not acceptable. So it lets you like bring people in and play with them that you've never played with, with a kind of ground level understanding of safety. So that's a really great way to access a lot of things with with gaming too. I always feel a lot more comfortable like GMing at a con or in person for people that I've never met before, because there's just that, that knowledge of, okay, there's a system to support me as I am doing this job. And I don't know, I guess I'm still kind of traumatized from a lot of the weird, awkward, somewhat scary experiences I had as a young girl back in the day at various shops. And uh, and honestly, most of the shops back then probably don't even exist anymore. But so it's just, it's important. Yes, I'm a, like, it's fantastic, Ed, that you're running games. I hope more people continue to run games in actual friendly and local gaming stores. We're looking to, there's a, gosh, what is it called? There's one nearby that's like a game night that I used to go to all the time that I know start looking to to ramp back up after COVID and play in person at a local, I think they do coffee shops though. It's like a gaming night and they do like local coffee shops to help like pass around the, the love to local establishments. But yeah, I, it's so easy for us older members of the hobby to think like the first time you have to play has to find and track someone down in person. Like it has to be a, a person who you know already or someone you run into at a gaming store. but There are people who are huge fans of the hobby now who've run games and played games who've never actually been in the same room as anybody that they've ever played with. And I think that that's amazing. That's really amazing. It is super cool. I think in my mind, my brain says that's a higher barrier to entry because you have to seek out the community for that. Mm -hmm. And when you're not able to see people face to face, it does make leaving easier, but it also makes it harder to kind of judge the safety of a situation before you get there. Yeah. Like if you walk into a game store and the vibe is bad, you can just walk back out and stuff like that. To be fair, I also 
I got into the hobby back in fourth edition back in gosh, 2011. Mm-hmm. So that was before Discord was a thing. That was back when Skype was our primary video thing. And it was hot garbage. Yeah. Um, oh, man. And, like, VTTs really weren't a thing. Like, there were not a lot of virtual tabletop options. It was, like, people were using Google Plus and Google Hangouts. And it was a janky, janky time for online gaming then. So, to me, the idea of coming into gaming at a point where online gaming is already so established Mm -hmm. is, my brain goes, well, why would you get into it that way? Because that's not how I got into it. Right. But that's, it's super exciting. It's wonderful to see that just gaming is becoming more and more accessible. And I'm just so incredibly happy to see what like Happy Jacks has become. Like this last 2022's JackerCon was phenomenal. Yeah. I like, I got to run two games and then played all systems I'd never played before. Yeah. Same. And like that, in my opinion, is one of the best ways to go in is to look for a system you've never touched before and just sign up for it mm-hmm. and see how it goes. I played Vampire, I played Mage, I played Alice is Missing with you, Kimmy, and it was amazing. So good. So, so good. <laughs> and yeah, just like a ton of different things. And like Kimmy has been saying on the Discord and a little bit here, I'm super excited to try and run some community games, like just some one-shots here and there. I've also, I don't know, I've been kind of kicking around ideas of like doing like a Jackbox night or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just more more community hangouts stuff. That's how I ended up on the show was I just was around and I convinced Happy Jacks people to play in my games and I did all right. And uh, they vouched for me and, and now I'm here. But like I have met so many wonderful people through playing games with the Happy Jacks community. The masks game that I ran during lockdown was life-changing. Meeting Lloyd for the first time to play Alice is Missing was transcendent. Like, that is a game that I hope to run someday. And it is absolutely just like, it makes you feel things that you never thought a piece of paper or like a, a bit of code could do. And that wouldn't be possible without all of these awesome people that have come together. And also, especially with you, Kimmy, wrangling all of this and making it possible. I am just going to sit here and compliment you and make you uncomfortable. You just get to deal with it. It's a bright future for the hobby, and I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I think that's kind of what Ed like. And it really kind of choked me up for a moment because they because Ed like captured it so perfectly. When he's talking about it is a defining part of who I am and makes me a better person in ways I can't explain in an email easily. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what gaming has become for so many of us. Like it becomes Mm -hmm. part of who you are. It becomes something that links you with other people in a way that you maybe didn't expect when you first started gaming. And it's just it's just wild. Like when I think about my life, if like. 13 years ago, Stu hadn't asked me to be in this like 4E game, like, and how different it would be. Like, the, the you, you know, you really had to put in the work back then. Like, you got <laughs> through the rough part to get to the good stuff. Right. But I mean, it's just like, I mean, like thinking about all the people who, I mean, and, and it does, it creeps into to so many facets of your life. It's not just a mm-hmm. hobby. I mean, I, I guess there are yeah. definitely people who probably it is just a hobby. But for me, it's like, all my, you know, my, my daughter, all her favorite uncles and aunts and family members, like, like 
aunties, aunts, whatever, like mm. are all people that I know because of gaming. And they come over here all the time for gaming. And it's like, they are members of my family. Like they've been to my house mm-hmm. for Christmas. Like when I think of, I mean, like Adam and Joey are an amazing example. Like Adam and Joey got married and they yeah. were on a show together here. That's how they met is like they played in a game of Monster Hearts together. And then like months ago we were at their wedding and it was like my mm-hmm. daughter was the flower girl at their wedding. And it was just like this wild way, like tangled weave of emotion and caring. And I don't know, gaming is able to form connections between people in a way that, especially tabletop gaming, because there's so much emotional vulnerability, at least in the way we play, and Mm -hmm. connection and creativity together that it really, it really bonds you and it changes your life. Not only that, but like, he said gaming has made him a better person in ways he can't really describe. But like gaming has gotten me in touch with parts of myself that I don't think I necessarily would have. Like in ways that I wouldn't have expected or wouldn't have been exposed to in other places. Like like getting to play Holly on Heaven on High has just kind of... She is parts of me that I don't get to bring out in the real world. Mm -hmm. And listening to Hexbreakers and listening to everyone play I forget the character that you all played at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was her name? With the Minnesotan accent. Yeah, and just... I keep thinking Emily, but that's Emily was the GM. But no, yeah, Emily was I, the GM. Yeah. <laughs> God, I think it's it okay. started with an M. But mm-hmm. that episode, one, made me cry. And two, like, helps me move along in my transition journey and, like, start really thinking about things like what I wanted my name to be and, like, stuff that just had been kind of sitting and just listening to these people sit at a table and play pretend and roll dice just completely shifted my perspective on things. And then like playing Alice is missing and taking a story about loss and fear and searching and, and not telling you the story, but making you feel the story Yeah, and all the stuff, like things that you could watch the world's greatest film and it would never make you feel the things that a game like that can. Absolutely. Um, it's an interactive experience. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a thing that we we don't have a lot of in our modern culture. Like, I love folk music. And when I was part of the, like, the Renaissance Fair and things like that, we would have these things where we would just all, like, come together at, like, someone's house and hang out and sing and tell stories and make up songs together. And it was, like, like very old tradition. And a lot of the songs we sang were not old tradition, but, like, There's a bonding of community when you have things like that, when you have shared stories in a community. And we don't have that in our modern culture a lot of ways. You know, that's why I think we become so obsessed on TV shows and things, because that has become our new shared story experience. Mm -hmm. While tabletop games with our communities, when we play them, we create these shared lore and stories, these shared experiences emotionally, but also these experiences experiences yeah that we kind of pass on and we joke about we talk about these these touchstones that bond us together like communities of old with their ballads and their oral traditions like this is kind of the closest thing we have to that in a lot of ways now and in in modern friendship groups and -hmm. it's something that's very unique and i think it it creates a special bond for groups that are do it together a lot and I think we're way off course in the email, but 
That's very thought provoking. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that of all the email, like, I don't know, it changes you in ways you can't explain. And mm-hmm. just like the entire course of your life can change from picking up this hobby. And I think it happens a lot more than 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 people care to even admit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. So uh, definitely got to keep working at bringing people, more people into the hobby. So, um, mm-hmm. oh, and if you are interested, uh, we were talking a lot about the Happy Jacks Discord. Go to happyjacks.org slash discord. And then there's a whole section on, we've, we're like building up like the community gaming aspect and stuff like that. Because we do, we want to bring more people into the hobby. We want to make it accessible. And we want to bring people into new games that they haven't played before, even if they are already in the hobby. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep the spirit of JackerCon alive in your heart year round. All round, yes. These are like mm-hmm. little mini ones. We still have JackerCon. Mm-hmm. That's still like the big event once a year. Yeah. And that's on its own server and everything on, on Discord. I'm going to have to put in leave for JackerCon. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's like, all right, I need to get a babysitter. Maybe she, kid can go to grandma's that weekend. <laughs> all right. All right. Know. She's she's a toddler. She can learn to forage. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Dice are such choking hazards. Just let me tell you. Oh, God. She's so obsessed with them, too. I'm like, please don't. T- okay. I'm going to watch you very carefully. Don't not. Don't don't put that one in your mouth. That's my favorite. Get, get the big dice. The yeah. big foam dice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us for season 31, episode 17 of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. My name is Kimmy. I've been Rose. And please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Jennifer Adcock. You can find her games at jen-adcock15.itch.io. Or if you go find The Price of Coal on Indie Press Revolution, it is available there. It's a beautiful game. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to all our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their amazing ranks at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. And yeah, they... We are allowed to say whatever we want all the time because we don't have to worry about sponsors or ads or any of that. And you don't have to worry about listening to ads because we don't like them. They're boring and bleh. Like we've talked we're allowed about to say few- anything we want. So I'm going to get into my Star Wars hot take now. <laughs> It'll be the next 50 minutes. Yes. They want that. They want it. All right. <laughs> um, Patreon stretch goal. Yeah, that's what it is. All right. All right. So today we're going to leave you with a song called Wake Up Whole Again. It's by a band called Sport of Tricks, who, as I mentioned, come are friends from the Renaissance Fair. And you can find them at sportoftricks.com. All right. Thank you all. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Shattered and dark Gangs occupy the playgrounds Shooting up the park Don't seem to be no work for me No matter how I try My wife's hustling tables Struggling to get by I bought the dream of working hard Played straight to get ahead Now my dreams mock me My nights are filled with dread So I count the cost and cut the loss Try to pay my way I wake up every morning, like to make it through the day. Don't want to live in fear, don't want to live in pain. Hiding in darkness, afraid to speak my name. Stand as my witness, I will not live in shame. 
Surrender to dismay. Kneel beside our brothers, hear what our sisters say. Raise your voices with me, don't go silent in the night. I will not curse the darkness, I'd rather be the light. Don't want to live in fear, don't want to live in pain. Hiding in darkness, afraid to speak my name. Stand as my witness, I will not live in shame. show is a product of the happy jacks rpg network the mary Sue's performed our intro music and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts